Thank you and welcome. Let's welcome everybody joining us from Leicester, from Cambridge, whether you're on the web. I want to start by letting you in on a secret. I want to tell you of two of my all-time favorite films. They're both musicals. The first, don't laugh, it's The Sound of Music. It's a classic, isn't it? The hills are alive with the sound of music. Is that... Any more? No, you're not getting any more. The second, the second is the latest version of Les Miserables. It's an absolute classic. Karen thinks I'm a bit soppy, but I thought it was stunning. I mean, the, the, I love the history, most of the singing, <laughs> some of the romance. But above all, what I thought was beautifully presented was a contrast between a life of grace and generosity and a life of law and legalism and meanness, presented by two of the leading characters. One was Jean Valjean, played by Hugh Jackman, a 19th century peasant who spent 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread for his sister's starving child. He decides to break parole, goes on the run, is caught stealing again, gets basically let off with an extraordinary act of generosity. And because of that, his whole life is turned around and he lives a life of extreme generosity and dies a fulfilled and happy man. That's, that's a life of generosity. Then on the other side, we have Javert, played by Russell Crowe, who's a, a, a police officer who basically makes it his life mission to hunt uh, Valjean down, uh, and he's, he's mean, he's legalistic, he's unforgiving, and he dies miserable and eventually committing suicide. Very tragic end. But what I believe it does is it presents to us two very stark alternatives, a life of generosity or a life characterized by meanness. Which one do you want to go for? I know what I want. And today, I want to say at the outset outset, this message is good for you. <laughs> it is. There's something releasing and freeing about living a generous life. I want to use a, a diagram throughout where I want us to imagine our lives like a journey. And it's a journey that we get the opportunity to go on a journey of generosity. On the one end, we've got the self-centered life represented by I on the throne of our hearts or our lives. Anyone ever struggle with self-centeredness? Or is it just me? But I believe we get the opportunity as Christians who've been changed by Christ to go on a journey to leave the self-centered life behind, to leave a life of meanness, and to become more like our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, to, who will free us so that we can live lives that are radically generous, represented on the other end there by Christ and His cross at the very throne of our hearts. I don't know where you would put yourself on that life journey. I know where I'd put myself. It would certainly be um, on the, on, on, heading in the right direction. <laughs> I, I've less, left that um, stage of self-centeredness. But I don't know about you. I haven't arrived yet. I want to become more like Jesus Christ. Anybody else? I want to come more like, more generous, like our generous Savior. To help us on that journey, we're going to look 
at a group of early Christians, we're going to go back to our text in Acts chapter 2, where it describes the radical generosity of the church in Jerusalem. I would put those guys right on the generous end of the spectrum. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 45. It says this, All the believers, that's everyone, (laughs) all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Then if we read over into chapter 4, we'll see, in, in in essence, the same picture but unpacked in more detail. So from Acts 4.32, it says, No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Verse 34, There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and distributed to anyone as he had need. Would you agree that's pretty radically generous? And then Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us two contrasting examples. In one sense, every bit as dramatic as Valjean and Javert. He starts with a guy called Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, who sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here... Barnabas typifies what's going on. He's a personal example of what many others are doing. He's he's way on that journey of generosity, agreed? And then we have the contrast. Straight into the next uh, chapter, Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a a piece of property. In other words, it looks like they're on the same journey as Barnabas, right? Well, let's read on verse 2. It says, With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, let me just qualify and explain the story in very brief detail here, which is to say the issue wasn't that they held back part of the money because Peter later tells them it was all yours anyway. The issue was they lied. They pretended to be more generous than they were, and they, they basically said, this is, the mon- this is the money we got from the field, and here it all is, but they withheld it. They lied. They got found out by Peter. They got judged, and they died. Pretty stark ending, right? Now, whatever else that story teaches us, it's a beautiful contrast again between a life that is moving in the right direction, freed from the love of money, and also... In the Ananias and Sapphira story, it basically highlights money can really do funny things with our heart, can't it? And so this whole issue of our attitude to money and possessions and being generous, not just in our money, but in every area of our life, is absolutely crucial for us to grow in. So back to our diagram. How many of you want to move and to become more like Christ? More of his liberation. How many want to be freed from fear and greed? And you want more of God's blessing in your life. Well, then you come to the right place because that's what we're going to look at. Two things I want to look at that I believe are critical if we are going to move. Because none of us have arrived. All of us are at different stages. But imagine if everyone in Kingsgate, Leicester, Cambridge, Peterborough, London, wherever we gathered, all of us move forward as a result of this message. That would be powerful, wouldn't it? So how can we move 
on this journey of generosity. Two things we need. We need generous attitudes and generous actions. Can we say that? Attitudes and actions. Let's look first at a generous attitude. If you look at the contrast between Valjean and Javert, it comes down to an issue of heart attitude. If you look at why and how the early Christians and Barnabas were so radically generous, it starts with a change of heart or attitude. In fact, there's something about Barnabas that is thoroughly generous from the inside out. I don't know whether you've been ever called names or been given a nickname. Well, this is a pretty cool nickname. The apostles called, called Joseph, that was his name, Barnabas, because the nickname was this, son of encouragement. In other words, what they're saying about this guy is, here's a generous guy. He's generous with his attitudes. He's generous with his words. He was generous in his attitude. And then, of course, the Ananias and Sapphira story, there was something wrong with their heart and with their attitude. So big question then as we face the the encouragement to move on the journey of generosity. How do we deal with self-centeredness? How many find that it's a little bit of a battle? It's obviously just me then. Because there's something about us, isn't there, that that naturally gravitates to think about ourselves. So how how do we change our attitude? I believe there's one fundamental way that God changes our attitudes and makes us generous at the core of our being. And it's only when we understand that we have been recipients of the greatest act of generosity that's ever happened in history. Uh, I, I want to illustrate again, going back to the story of Jean Valjean. Here he is. Um, I want to pick up a clip in the film where he's broken parole. He's on the run. He's ended up at the bishop, a bishop's house. This kindly guy invites him in. And so Valjean decides he's going to steal the guy's treasures And he's on the run when this happens. Isn't that a powerful picture? Instead of the judgment he deserved, he received mercy. He received more than that. He received lavish grace. And I believe in in some way it's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ. Except Jesus didn't rescue us and save us and forgive us through um, earthly treasure, he gave the most precious thing, his own life for us. Paul, when he was trying to encourage the Corinthians to live a life of generosity in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, starts by looking at the generosity of another church and then he says this, you know this, remember this, look at the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. He became poor and we became rich. Do you know the key to a generous life starts with an understanding that we have been recipients of the most extraordinary generosity available. It all comes back to the cross. We sung a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? That old Isaac Watts hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And it goes through and it reminds us 
just what Jesus went through for us. And then the final verse is kind of like our response to what He's done for us. It's, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In other words, nothing we could ever do or give would match what God has given to us through Christ. Amen. I don't know you, I feel Jesus bringing me back again and again. I, I, was, I woke up sometime this week and I would had a dream and I was either leading a meeting or something was going on and I just broke down in tears because I had a fresh revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ. How many want to move on in your, your generosity? Can I say we can only do it when we realize the extent of His amazing generosity towards us. Firstly, we need generous attitude. But secondly, those, that attitude of generosity that we see in Barnabas, the early church, we see in Valjean, we see throughout the New Testament, this grace needs to flow into generous actions. Generous actions. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just love us with a generous attitude? I mean, from heaven, He says, well, I love you so much, I sympathize with where you are, and He stayed there. Yeah? Seriously, aren't you glad that, that Jesus Christ acted on his love? Acted on his generosity? He came from heaven to earth. Aren't you glad that he didn't back off from the cross? But because of his love, he gave up everything. He endured absolute poverty and shame on the cross that we might enjoy the riches of the grace of God. Aren't you glad he acted? So, yes, generosity starts in our hearts. Yes, it starts with an attitude. But it has to be released in actions. If you look at, um, again, Valjean. Yes, his attitude was changed by that encounter with extreme generosity. But he does go on and live a changed life. Wherever he goes, with it, he uses his time, his talents, and his treasure in helping others. He lives a life of generosity because he's been changed by extreme generosity. It's the same with the early Christians. I don't believe we can understand what's going on in Acts without understanding. There's almost like a spontaneous. It's like they devoted themselves that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Something's going on because of their encounter with Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit, and what God's done in their lives. There's a spontaneity. There's a freedom. They want to be generous because God has done something in their lives. And they express it in actions. Yeah? They're sharing their possessions. They're selling fields and homes. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we can look back at that and think, whoa, that's pretty strong. That's way on the, the side of radical generosity. And, but, and I believe it's important that we don't get, as it were, daunted by that challenge and think, how are we ever going to get there? As I was studying this, I was just struck by the fact that as well as an outpouring of the grace of God, these early Christians in Jerusalem, in one sense, had a head start. Although they had a lot to get be free from, because they were Jews, and as we looked a couple of weeks ago, they were steeped in the Old Testament, they already had a revelation of Yahweh as the one true God. And they already knew that to be a follower of this God meant that you gave. 
For those of us from a Gentile background, or we've recently become Christians, and we're, we're imbibed in the, or the only culture we have is a worldly, materialistic culture, this can be a bit of a shock to the system. But remember who Barnabas was. Barnabas was not just a Jew. If you read carefully, it says he was a Levite. If you know anything about the Levites, the Levites historically have been a tribe that were set aside for the service of the Lord. And certainly early on, the Levites received their income from the tithes of the other tribes. And then the Levites themselves um, would tithe to a particular group within their tribe called um, the priests. So they would have understood both the, 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 the Old Testament pattern of tithes and then that you gave above your tithe in tithes and offerings. So although this is a spontaneous, dramatic thing, Barnabas would have had some things in place. And I believe it's important that as New Testament Christians, without that Old Testament background, that we kind of get some of these things in place. And I want us to view tithes and offerings not as the end goal, but as steps on the journey towards generosity. Let me take the, the tithe first. The tithe basically meant you gave the first 10% of everything that came in as an as a act of worship, putting God first. And that was something Barnabas would have known about, the early Christians were known about. It's all in the Old Testament. It's endorsed by Jesus. But sometimes we can struggle to get our heads around it. So let me use an illustration from Bill Hybel's book, Simplify. And I want to talk about two people. Let's call them Bob and Fred, both Christians. Now, Bob becomes a Christian. He loves God. But when it comes to the matter of finance, he's done his maths. And he knows he's got to go from A to B. And he needs 100% of everything that comes in to get from A to B. I mean, it's just a maths issue. So here's the issue of the, the, the thing of tithing. He thinks, I can't do that. Crazy. But then there's another guy. Here's the same message on tithing. Let's call him Fred or Frida. So Fred or Frida hear the message on tithing and they think, well, praise God, if God says I've got to put him first and give the first 10%, I'm going to reorder my finances. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to live off 90% and I'm still, by the grace of God, going to get from A to B. But he says, but I also know there's promises attached to tithing. And so not only am I going to get from A to B, I'm going to get from A to B and I'm going to have some C. And C means supernatural provision, supernatural blessing. Open heaven is going to come over my finances. And the thing is, both of them think the other is an idiot. <laughs> Bob thinks, that Fred guy, he's an idiot. I've done my maths. <laughs> Smile at me, somebody. Fred looks at Bob and thinks, how boring. How mundane. <laughs> Not trusting God. Think God is so wealthy and he's so powerful. I'm getting in some fun stuff. I'm getting some C in my life. And here's the punchline. Which kind of idiot do you want to be?
Hundreds of us in Kingsgate have decided to be Fred kind of idiots. And we've put God to the test, as he says in his word, and we've realized not only do we get from A to B, but we start experiencing some C. We start experiencing sometimes direct provision, sometimes saving, sometimes, and I'm sure many, many times, protection and open doors and favor that if we only knew how much our God was active on our behalf, we'd be amazed. Karen and I were praying yesterday and just thanking God as we were praying about our giving and the offering or whatever. We were just thanking God and I, I stopped in the middle of our prayer and said, why would anybody not want to trust God in this area? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Why would anybody not want to trust God in this area? So that's the first thing. That's the tithe. It's like, view the tithe as like a first step. It's an important step. It gets something established. But of course, Barnabas and the, old, uh, the, the Jews in Jerusalem knew, would have known you didn't just tithe, there were offerings, special offerings. And offerings you gave for various things. There was a strong strand of teaching in the Old Testament where the offerings went to the poor. Hence, it's no surprise that um, we see them giving to the poor. Just as an aside, within Kingsgate, part of our mission fund, our tithe fund for the years we've used to help in ministries to the poor. We also have a body needs fund that is, that is available to minister the poor. But in the Old Testament, as well as giving to the poor, they had times and seasons where the, um, the Holy Spirit prompted them um, through leadership to give to special projects. How many know that Moses' tabernacle and the great temple were built through the generous giving of God's people? They gave to these big special projects. Projects. Well, I've got great news for you. Over the years at Kingsgate, we've had people who at times and seasons, just like we're about to go into, have stepped up the plate and said, we want to be radically generous as our God has been radically generous. And we want to give above our regular ties and we want to give into special projects. In fact, about 15 years ago, there was a core of about 400 of us in Peterborough in one service in rented facilities. We started sensing, and we had a word. The Lord says, buy land. So we went looking for land and ended up on, uh, eventually, with a 12 and a half acre site. Whoa. And then we started dreaming up crazy plans to build an 83,000 square foot building on that land. That would eventually seek 1,800 people. And when there's 400 of you in rented facility, I want to tell you, that looks like a mountain. But I want to tell you, when God moves on the hearts of his people, all things are possible. Hallelujah. And so we gave radically and generously and sacrificially this September 2016. We're going to celebrate 10 years in the Peterborough building. And over the years, we've seen thousands and thousands of people's lives transformed. I want us to pause for a moment. And whether you're in Cambridge, Leicester, or in Peterborough, let's thank the core of people who paid the price, who invested ahead of time, that many of us can enjoy what we're enjoying right now. God bless you. But of course, we didn't stop there. A number of us said, right, we want to start giving monthly above our tithes in, in, in regular giving to help um, pay for the, the mortgage on the building. And then we said, right, we've got lots still to do in the building. We've got to fit out some tiered seats. We've got to fit up 
much of the ground floor still. We've got to fit, fit out offices and children's rooms and halls upstairs. I want to tell you, over the last 10 years, without borrowing another penny, without taking out of tithe money, we've been able to keep developing this amazing building to the glory of God because of the generosity of people in this house. Hallelujah! But of course, we haven't stopped there. Along with our giving from our mission fund and special offerings, we've done all kinds of other things. We've given beyond ourselves. We've helped literally pay for or help build other church buildings in Africa. There are people right now worshipping God in parts of Africa that have come because of the giving from this house. Hallelujah. We've been able to give and fund Again, from our mission fund and through special offerings, ministries to the poor, community action projects, and more recently, we've of course decided that we were called to think big and enlarge what God was doing beyond Peterborough. So those, those of you guys in Cambridge, you know that one of the reasons you're, you're there is because there was a core of people in Kingsgate, Peterborough, who said, we're going to give a beyond ourselves to establish a work of the kingdom in that great city. Hallelujah. And then together, Peterborough and Cambridge, we've invested into Leicester. And now we're in, in the stage of lengthen and strengthen offering part two, where we've started to and we need to finish and continue giving into the launch of Kingsgate London. We can give beyond ourselves. I want to tell you, we've seen it happen and we can see it again if every single one of us takes the next step in radical generosity, and then we want to give into the development of leaders. How many of you have joined with me in all our centers, some of you to invest back into the building in Peterborough? We want to see 300 more seats in this Peterborough auditorium. Why? Not for the sake of seats, because in, in a short while of time, we'll start seeing people standing and sitting in those seats who are going to give their lives to Christ. They're going to reach their God-given destiny, all because we invested beyond ourselves. Is that fun? Now that's kind of like a primary purpose for giving. They were giving in acts that needs might be met. We're giving that lives might be changed. Needs might be met. But there's something else goes on. And I say this almost every time and I'll say it again. Even if we had none of those needs, I would still preach a message like this. Do you know why? Because giving is good for us. Yeah. Some of you are like, no. Nah. Yeah. Really is. Giving is good for you. It really is. It really is. You see, Valjean had his heart changed, but his whole life was transformed because he lived, basically, to serve others. He dies a happy, a free, and a fulfilled man. Javert, he physically died when he committed suicide. But he shriveled up and died on the inside years ago. Can I tell you, meanness self-centeredness can cause you to wither and die. There is an enemy out there, the devil, who's the source of all 
soulish, self-centered, mean. And we want to get free from his devices in Jesus' name. You may not have thought so when you saw the word generous, but I want to tell you, this is a message of freedom for you in Jesus' name. Because when we start recognizing we're recipients of extraordinary generosity and God changes our hearts and it's not just about, oh no, help, I've got to give again. It's like, Lord, how can I bless? And then we do so in all areas of our lives, time, talents, treasure. We live front foot, proactive. Something happens to us. We get set free from the love of money. We get set free from fear of lack. We get set free from greed. And our God is more enthroned on our lives. I want to tell you, there's a whole lot of freedom that can come to this house if we'll keep moving on the journey of generosity. Giving is good for us. But something else happens. Not only do other people's lives get transformed and we can see a whole lot more stuff happening as a result of what we're going to release in resources. Not only are our lives going to get transformed, we're going to get free on the inside, become more like Christ. But it's as if when we're generous, it's almost like it's a magnet attracting more of our generous God. You see, sandwiched in between... Verses on giving, verses on giving is an expression and a description of open heaven. How many want the open heaven working over your life? Open heaven. Floodgates of heaven. It's more than just money, but it includes God's provision. It's about the favor of God coming on a people and an individual and a community in Jesus' name. That's why I'm excited about this stuff. Because when we put God first in our money, it's like it's one of the key areas. He says, right, if you're going to trust me in this area, somehow it has a ripple effect in all kinds of other areas of our life. And so in Acts chapter 4, I read verse 32, which is about giving. I read to you earlier verse 34 and following, which is about giving. In between, like in a sandwich, is this verse in Acts 4.33. With great power... The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. Now, I don't believe for a minute we can earn anything of the grace and the power of God, but we can position ourselves to receive more of it. And I believe there's something about when a people, a community come together and everyone says, yeah, we want open hearts. We want our generous attitudes. We want open hands. We want to be generous with our actions. I believe God says, right, then I want to pour myself on you more and more, more open heavens. I'll tell you, the atmosphere changes. I've been a Christian now for many, many years. I've been in church leadership for many years. And I've observed something. One characteristic that I believe is common to every individual or church or ministry that God has blessed, I've not found one where the blessing of God is where there's not also generosity. And where either the person, the leader, or the church hasn't somehow done battle with and war with 
materialism and covetousness and greed and are becoming generous. And I see it in the life of Barnabas. Let me finish with this guy. Here he is. He's leading with an example of generosity, so much so that he's in the Bible here. He's generous in his attitude. He's son of encouragement. He's expressing his generosity by literally selling a field. He's not tithing it. He's selling the whole thing. Extreme generosity, yeah? In my reading this morning, I already knew it was there. I was in Acts 11. Decades later, hundreds of miles away, the Holy Spirit, through a bunch of radical Christians, starts breaking out in another city called Antioch. And the apostles look around and think, who can we send? Guess who they sent? Barnabas. The guy who's conquered greed. The guy who is generous in his attitude and his actions. Let's pick him. And we read about him in Acts 11, how he's a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, encourages them, and they see something of a breakout and a revival. How many want to be used by God to the max? Generosity attracts the blessing of God. And so as we move on in generosity, I so want this for you. God so wants this for you. This is good news for you. You can get free. And here's the deal. All of that is absolutely true, but even there's still another promise that we've got here, which is because God is so generous and has outdone us and we can never pay him back, when we start releasing our resources to him, promises are abundant through the Old and New Testament that we can never outgive our ultimately generous God. And he will resupply us with more resources. Listen to this as we can conclude. You see, some of you, God is, God is wanting you to say, right, this week I make a decision, I'm going to be like Fred. I'm going to be like Frieda. I think we need a little hashtag going. Be like Fred. Yeah? Be, I'm going to be like Frieda. And for you, there's a decision. You're going to make a first step. You're going to tithe. Put God first. You won't just be able to move from A to B. I know some of you heard this before, but I want to tell you, trust God, there's a C. There's a C. But don't stop there. We were never supposed to stop there. It's a foundation for moving on in offerings. And we need to seek God over this next week. A special offering and is another opportunity to seek God. Align our hearts. Obey the promptings of the Spirit. Release. And watch what God can do. But don't stop there with an offering. May this be the stepping stone for you and I to continue to grow in a journey of generosity and become more like Jesus. And so, knowing this is good for us and knowing that God is going to resupply us, it's so important when we come next Sunday in all our centers, wherever you're gathered, you come next Sunday to give, 
that we do so cheerfully. No long faces, please. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, For those who, who give, gener- give generously, they need to give cheerfully or hilariously. Amen. We're not going to teach on giving next week. We, 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 we focus, we, we're doing the preparation this week because we believe in prepared giving, not pressured giving, so that when we come, we're not giving out of guilt or out of pressure or obligation. We're coming because we've encountered our generous God again and we can come celebrating and giving freely as he's freely given to us. Amen. And as we do so, here, final verse. This is the promise. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, 11. As we give generously and cheerfully, God is able... What a promise, to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Father, we thank you for the incredible generosity that you've expressed in Jesus Christ. Work on every one of our hearts Work on every one of our lives, Lord. And as we open up our hearts and we open up our hands, we believe that you're going to change us. Many lives are going to be transformed. We're going to become more like you. And you're going to open the heavens over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.